You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey everybody, this is David Bloom. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom and Tech, where we pick through the rubble of the repeated collisions of media, entertainment, and technology to find a few golden nuggets of wisdom which can help us make our way through the day. Lots to talk about this week. I sat down and talked with Javon Frazier, somebody I've known a few years now, been on a few panels with him. Javon uh, started out as a kid of a single mom reading comic books in South Los Angeles, as he put it, a black nerd uh, kid, and uh, made his way through Berkeley and then uh, at, the, at the Stern School of Business at NYU, where he was the first African-American to head the uh, student body there, the S Corp, as they call it. He went on to work uh, for a time at Atlantic Records before getting what was kind of a dream job, working in consumer products and merchandising and video games and related things at Marvel, where he got to finally work with Stan Lee and do a lot of other interesting things. More recently, he was recruited to oversee the operations of Studio 71's merchandise and spinoff units and the like. And now... He has founded his own company, Maestro Entertainment, to do this work, uh, continue this work on his own with Studio 71 and others. He's had relationships with people like Creative Mind behind the the cult hit uh, video game, The Binding of Isaac. They have a new game coming out, a new board game coming on top of the latest sequel of that incredibly beloved franchise, Umbrella Academy which he does with Dark Horse Comics, a, uh, a board game based on that original graphic novel series that is also a hit Netflix series, uh, and much else. Uh, Guava Juice, the uh, online influencer, and many others. So uh, give a listen. It's a good conversation. We'll be right back. And here's my conversation with Javon Frazier of Maestro Entertainment. Hi, everybody. This is David Bloom. I am here with Javon Frazier, who is uh, late of uh, the big online media company, uh, Studio 71, and now has launched his own company, spun it out of the work he's been doing the last few years in creating games connected to some of the online notable properties and creators that uh, Studio 71 first had. And now he's he's going out on his own. He's going to be an entrepreneur and uh, a longtime friend. We've been on panels about a thousand times together. Now he's venturing out to be uh, a CEO of his own. So welcome, Javon. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the new company's Maestro, right? Yeah, Maestro Media. Uh, and basically, we're a strategic product uh, and business development firm that focuses on helping creators to uh, you know, bring their vision uh, to life through product and distribute um, their products via different sales channels. It's built out of um, a lot of work I've done over... My, my entire career to kind of lead me here and so excited to, 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 to really launch this and step out and, and, and do it now with Maestro Media. And yeah, just to clarify, though, you really sort of pioneered some of these game spinoffs with Studio 71, which is owned by the big German uh, broadcaster, ProSieben. You're not just doing tabletop games anymore. I mean, you've done some really cool stuff, but it's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of things that you plan to be involved in going forward. You've got what's the first thing lined up? 
Yeah, we, we are working on, you know, games, obviously, but to your point, right, the, the whole idea for, for the, the business is to make it, you know, my, my background is, you know, working at Marvel, right? And, and so basically at Marvel, I worked in consumer products and licensing and theatrical and video games. I was the head of uh, video games, uh, you know, we did over $600 million through video games across multiple platforms, right? And so... Do you anticipate doing $600 million worth of uh, business uh, with Maestro? From your mouth to God's ears, right? And so, <laughs> so, or and God's so, bank or something, right? It's something, right? And, and so, yeah, the, the idea would be, I mean, obviously we're starting and, and we've, we've had a, a lot of success um, in the, the physical games business. I built the games business at Studio 71 from the ground up quickly in the first year, you know, did approximately, you know, from zero to $5 million that, game we did called Joking Hazard. We did $3.2 million on Kickstarter in the first 30 days. And then we launched uh, a product called the Guava Juice Box, which was a, a toy subscription box, right? Kind of to show the the, the dichotomy or the, the breadth of product. We did a, a toy subscription box. And, that and, that, and, and to clarify, that was tied to Guava Juice, the uh, creator. The Philipp- He's Filipino-American, right? He is Filipino. He's got a lot of fans from the Philippines, but obviously he's got a huge uh, audience uh, globally, and one of the greatest, nicest guys that you could meet. And we we both, uh, you know, he he, he had a, a or had content on his channel. I think at the time he was building his channel, Guava Juice. He had just transitioned as we're starting to build the product, and we kind of built the b- built the product alongside his channel. And so the product grew with his channel. We grew to over three hundred fifty thousand boxes to pretty much every country. <laughs> on the planet uh and it was a quarterly toy subscription box that we shipped every quarter we shipped about 13 boxes and even turned the toy box into a video game that we released on ios and android so to kind of answer your question that's the the trajectory with maestro right that we we have games but turning games into video games into properties into other mediums just based upon my background is something that, you know, really is going to be the focus of the business for the future. And you all also did, uh, I thought, a very clever little game, but um, it kind of got caught up in some of the uh, stuff with the pandemic, the half-truth game with uh, Ken Jennings, Mr. Mister Jeopardy, uh, all-timer, and uh, Richard Garfield, who's uh, Mr. Wizards of the Coast slash, you know, game creator of the uh, Hall of Fame game creator. Mr. Yeah. Magic the Gathering himself, yeah. We, yeah. we, we worked with, I, I worked with Richard and Ken to create what we now know as Half-Truth. It wasn't called Half-Truth when we got it. And that's the whole fact. truth, right? <laughs> that is the whole truth, but it wasn't called Half-Truth. And, and, you know, created, named the game, branded the game, manufactured the game, you know, went to China. When, when, I, when we talk about you know, creation and manufacturing and development in building the business at Studio 71, manufacturing products for creators was not a business that they were in. So it was when I say zero to where the business uh, is today, I, I remember going on uh, a week-long expedition because we were sold out of guava juice boxes trying to figure out a, a, a manufacturer in China, going all through South China, just trying to find manufacturers. And so that was kind of the the block and tackle process of really learning and growing the business, which is some of the stuff that we're going to bring yeah. to Maestro. But, but with Half Truth, yeah, that we, we with the funny story about the pandemic was, was frankly, we delivered that game during the pandemic and it quickly became, we got a bunch of people playing it with their families and friends over Zoom. So it became this pandemic game. And, and so um, it actually became a way for people to connect because trivia translates via Zoom and different video conferencing. So it worked out very well. 
Right. I think the, the newest uh, step in the trivia online evolution is trivia contests on Clubhouse. You know, I just uh, saw something, uh, my favorite little online gossip brag out of the English music scene, Pop Bitch, is now they used to do pub quizzes because pub quizzes are huge in London, right? But they can't do pubs. Well, maybe they can do them now, though I sure wouldn't go into a pub no matter how much I need some warm beer. But they're going to start doing them on Clubhouse. And I think a lot of other folks are too. It's it's the sort of thing that kind of works in that online space. But what I think is really interesting about that is that you mentioned just in passing using Kickstarter as market tester, as marketing tool, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to, to figure out things. So talk a little bit about key role that that plays and some of the work that you've been doing in these various merchandise spinoffs. Really, I've generated over $8 million in Kickstarter since 2016. Last year alone, about $1.8 million uh, in, in products via Kickstarter. And, and so really, the community of Kickstarter is the best community to to bring your product to and really test out if it's something that the fans will like uh working with kickstarter and the fans to to build out these games and when i say that i, I it, it, like we, for for a game that we did called the binding of isaac uh we we put that on kickstarter that was a 2.7 million dollar kickstarter and we launched that in june and we were delivering for the holidays and we knew that that was a tight window and frankly we went to the fans and said hey can you help us edit this game <laughs> And the fans edited 400 cards to help us deliver on time. And so Kickstarter, wow. is such a, Kickstarter is such a unique platform with the engagement of fans. And I think one of the things that you know I've pioneered and something that we're bringing through Maestro is not using it like a sales platform, but really using it as a communication with fans to help strengthen the product because they're the initial buyers, right? They're, they're the ones that are the, the first people in the most excited about it and they're gonna and, and they're gonna help you to bring and deliver a game that they want to buy and buy over time and so that, that's that's all i think about this well now you mentioned the binding of isaac you have a sequel to that coming out soon right we launched the binding of isaac in 2018 and following the very uh, successful right very I mean, successful 2.7 million dollars on kickstarter uh went from idea where, where frankly i was pitching edmund McMillan, the creator of binding of isaac who's one of the most talented, amazing creators. I was pitching him on this concept that we're going to do, let's do a board game, let's do a board game, let's do a board game. And like, he he was, there, it's all in the press, right? He was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then he eventually said yes. And that was up to his house. We signed the deal. We're on Kickstarter. We went from Kickstarter to literally Target. I mean, we were we were in Target for, for two years uh, and every Target in, in, in the nation were globally distributed, so especially hobby retailers worldwide. And now, you know, taking forward that game this year uh, with the sequel, uh, Binding of Isaac Four Souls Requiem, in June of this year. And so kind of really based upon the, the experience I've had at Marvel, right? I, I think everything kind of ties back to that, really seeing how to build out from the one kind of Kickstarter through multiple. I think now we've got somewhere a 30 plus SKUs, we have a target SKU, and now we've got the sequel and we've got a bunch of great stuff ready for the sequel. So I can't. Now, did you go through Kickstarter for the sequel? Well, the kick, the sequel's not out yet. So so we've got we've got over seventeen thousand people signed up for the for the sequel. Well, which okay. kind of look at we had a, we did a game uh, during pandemic last year in April. Uh, with Edmund McMullen called Tapeworm. Uh, I, I, I did that game. With, and frankly, that game had about 19,000 people signed up before we launched and did about over a million dollars. So we have 17,000 people signed up for 
the sequel for Binding of Isaac uh, Four Souls Requiem. And we've got over two months to go. So we think that that's right. going to be even bigger. It, it, it um, could do okay. Yeah. It could do okay. Um, Maestro, you know, as, as one of our first projects with the, the launch of the business, super excited about it. And yeah, definitely think it could be okay. <laughs> cool. Well, you've, men- you, you've mentioned Marvel a couple of times. So let's dive a little bit into your background, where you right. came. Where'd you grow up? Um, I'm born and raised in LA. And so I think what, that's part? what part? What part? Uh, I, I'm from South Los Angeles, and so you know, um, I'm I'm the only child of a single parent, you know. And my mom, I think it all kind of starts. We talk about Marvel. I think it all starts with comics, right? And so the comics and education, surprisingly, my mom. I'll talk about the comics first, but uh, my mom and my grandma used to give me, you know, the weekly allowance, and I would I would do the you know, five cents and 10 cents bins at the comic book store. If I was feeling really ritzy, I would do the 25 cent bins. Living large. <laughs> Living large. Man. And I would Drop spend all day. Quarter, yeah, yeah, I would spend all day trying to spend, you know, trying to trying to spend five bucks, right? Yeah, right. So what, but what were you buying? If you if you worked at Marvel, were you just buying Marvel stuff? Were you a DC guy no, too? Marvel, you, you DC, uh, I mean, everything. Milestone, now, you were, Valley. you're old enough, you're old enough that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, the business kind of split up and started doing things like Dark Horse and some of those guys got more interesting over the last 25 years, right? Well, well that's funny you say that because we're, we're, you know, my show is in business with Dark Horse. So we're, we're taking forward the Umbrella Academy game, which I'm a big fan of Umbrella Academy and, and work with Dark Horse to launch the Umbrella Academy game. So Maestro will be expanding the Umbrella Academy brand. And so nice. I was a fan of all that. Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Milestone, huge comic book fan, uh, you know, and to the point of like, I remember on the back of the comic book cover was for, for $12, you could get a, a year-long subscription to Spider-Man. It's an amazing Spider-Man. And I just remembered, I was like, dude, if I could only have $12, to get <laughs> my life would be complete. My life would be... As a 12-year-old, I'm good. Different. And, yeah. and, and as I, I just, I'm kind of in production mode, obviously. With I build every game and product from here. So I'm, I'm, I've built a bunch of bookcases while in, in, in COVID and put all my comic books and board games and stuff on the shelf as I to come up with ideas and funny i found my old marvel trial book so back in the day you could uh you could buy a trial book and you could color or ink or letter the book and turn your pages into marvel and and if you were good enough they would give you a tryout wow i, I found it i wasn't that good but the story ended up well the story ended up well yeah, um, it worked on- out i mean you got there faster than a lot of folks did so you grew up in south la and then where did you go to school the education side was my mom was a she was a early education major so I, I so so I, I you know early childhood education major so I guess I was her little science project and <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I went to I went to Brownwood School which was one of the best schools in the state then I went to uh, University of California Berkeley Go Bears California Golden Bear and and then I, I moved all the way across the country to go to NYU I was a big fan of music and Russell. And what was your What was your degree at Berkeley? So I was an English major at Berkeley, um, and 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 so I think I, I think it kind of ties in. I think they're rich, you know. If you ask my mom if she comes on and does this interview, she'll say my my reading and all that stuff led to comics and <laughs> my English degree. I'll give her all the credit, right? And so, right. well, but so, maybe the comics led to the reading and the English degree, correct? Right? Because right. right. like my son, for instance, I think one of the ways he got into and he and my daughter are both voracious readers. But like he got into it in part from guides to video games, right? Because they were often these very involved, you know, 80, 100 page books with all kinds of 
you know, lore and stuff around a specific game. And, and, but it was a thing he wanted to read, and that's what got him engaged. Same thing with comic books for a whole set of folks. That's a story. That's a world. That's an engagement with the printed word and the images, obviously, that really pulls people in. So you got an English degree at Berkeley. What was your thesis about? It actually was about pop culture and music. At the time, uh, hip-hop music was, was going through a big change, uh, and, and it was about music, which is a, another passion of mine and, and, and led me uh, to NYU, like I said, uh, I, I was a huge fan of Russell Simmons and wanted to be in the music scene in New York and obviously California boy, Cali, Cali, Cali my whole life. And so went to NYU and, and was the president of the NYU Business School, the first African-American president, they, they tell me. And so um, uh, uh, the student association there at NYU at Stern Business yeah, School? Stern, correct. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, okay. the S-Corp that, that they call it. Right. And so I was the, <laughs> I was the president of S-Corp. <laughs> That's <laughs> so great. Friend. That was fantastic. And, and you know, to be the first uh, African-American president, which, I, you know, people, it meant a lot uh, to, to people. It meant a lot to me, frankly, once I found that out and, and following Stern, uh, I worked in music, which was my, which is like, I was like, okay, I'm here for music. And I worked at a major label. I was a brand new business school student going to work at a label. And, and frankly, this was my dream. And I was going to work at a label. And I got the opportunity to work at Marvel. How, how uh, well, did that happen? One of my mentors approached me and said, hey, would you like to work at a company called Marvel? <laughs> and you talk about seven-year-old Javon buying right, all right. comics. It's like, explode. I got to get my mom's allowance first, and then I'll exactly. come with you to the interview. <laughs> exactly, right? And I worked at Marvel. And uh, like I said, I worked on consumer products, licensing theatrical video games. You know, at a time... In 2006, where Marvel had just come out of bankruptcy a few years earlier, and right. very different than the Marvel we see today. I mean, pre Disney though, so it's pre Disney. I mean, when, I, I, yeah, I worked at Marvel in New York, and so I worked in a business called Custom Publishing, where we would make custom comic books for, for brands, right? Because this is kind of the so like instead of Spider Man, you know, swinging on his webs, he would take the Amtrak train to. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He's saving on web juice. You know? exactly. So we did the we did branded comics, which actually would be great because mom and dad would be on the Amtrak train and they'd sit there and there'd be a Spider-Man comic and it would be great. The kids would not bug them on the train, so it all worked out great. But it was like the convergence of comics and marketing and and all right. those things which helped to right. yeah, and, and and awesome enough um to kind of close out the Marvel story was I got my name in the books with Stan Lee and. Brian Michael Bendis and people that created the characters, which, you know, for Javon fan of comics, I have those books and they'll probably be the only thing I'll, I'll have buried with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, uh, I, I remember interviewing uh, Stan Lee one time and it was amazing because I think he developed three new characters in the space of our phone call. You know, he oh, just, yeah. he said, yeah, we got like 4,000, 4, 5,000 characters, whatever the number was, some humongous. He says, and like, you can do this thing about da 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 And I think he was riffing off of, of me or something, but I wasn't really quite sure. It was sort of interesting to see him. And he does this, and his superpower is, I don't know, typing or something. You know, I mean, yeah. it was sort of funny to watch him do that. And, and yeah. to some extent, you're doing, you're kind of doing that, right? I mean, some of the work you're doing is trying to figure out how you tell a story in different media. Right. Absolutely. I mean, having met Stan multiple times, uh, amazing guy. And, and there, there are the similarities of, you know, like I said, I, I'm building bookcases back here and trying to figure out 
what the next product is and, it, and, and it's how you know how do we these creators and talent have vision and have followings and, and, and fans and how do we come up with new ways for them to connect with their fans how do, how do we come up you know the, these things like like for guava juice he was making videos that he was with fun stuff but like how do we make your own box of your own branded fun stuff to deliver to your own fans and really have that connected experience and you know uh one of the things we're doing with Maestro is another cool thing was a uh, you've probably seen this video online it's super Tyler and he's, he's a he's a video game creator as well and he made this this thing is this mask um, video where basically the mask mimics his mouth. I think everyone's seen this video online and we, we were connected with him and we're actually making the mask and bringing it to market. And so it's got like a remote control, you know, we, we blew it out, right? Like you talk about what right. we do, what, what, what I do is like, how do we take it? How do we innovate? How do we make it greater? How do we make it something that the fans want to have and, and interact with for a long time? And so yeah, the similarities are there. And, and I, I love working with creative people and I love I love building out their businesses and, and love, you know, being their partner, which is which is why I started Maestro. And how long were you at Marvel and, and did you go from there to, to Studio seventy one or how did that work? Yeah, I mean I, I guess my, my I was almost I was almost there I was there for almost a decade. So pre Disney to post Disney or Iron Man one through Guardians of the Galaxy, whatever timeline you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it in a time frame that people actually understand who are not in the corporate. Oh, right. oh so like, like it's from this movie to this movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I can give you whatever ruler you want, right? And, okay. and so, yeah, so, yeah, 2006 through 2014, and so yeah, so, so that that gives you phase one and phase two or whatever you want <laughs> whatever yeah. i'll throw as many rulers at they started adding a whole lot more zeros to the, the the back end of their income at that point in that period yeah. that's they, they just blew up under the disney ownership well look i think i think the one of the greatest things about my time at marvel was i got to start a bunch of businesses and and so that that's where my desire passion for starting businesses because it was a small company like like you know you know now you know, I stayed up till midnight to watch, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier We've got this big thing. And But back in the day, it was a small, I remember we would have meetings where everyone in LA could sit around one table and we would just say, what are you working on? And it was like, yeah, I'm working on this game with Sega. And that was the update, right? It was like, I'm working on the Iron Man 1 and Hulk game with Sega. And, and you would just, it was like 30 people, I'm not kidding, 30 people sitting around a table. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? That was the update for what would become Marvel. And, and so I, I got the chance, like I said, I worked in custom publishing, which was the ability to merge comics and branding and big brands and all that. And then I got a chance to work in kind of consumer products to learn Target and Walmart and that whole business and, and how to build out consumer products. And then I worked in, you know, obviously worked in theatrical. I worked with some some great uh, folks, uh, Jeff Amer and, and Tom Sherrick, you know, uh, like, you're like, okay, Javon, now we're in the- theatrical. It's like, okay, cool. And like, w- I remember being on the golf carts with like Tom Sherrick and, and Jeff Amer learning the movie business, right? And, and that's how it was. And then, then I, I got to be, I was in charge of marketing for our video game business globally. And like I said, we, we did over, you know, $600 million to games like Lego Marvel superheroes, Marvel versus Capcom 3, like big properties to really build out that video game business. So, so post Marvel, I really wanted to work in IP again, and uh, I got recruited uh, into Studio Seventy One by the you know uh, previous CEO and now Chairman Reza Azad to build out gaming and merchandise. 
and it was the same kind of Marvel feeling of like, okay, I get a chance to build this from the ground up and this is what I'm going to do. And, and it was fantastic. And, and so, you know, like I said, it was like, okay, we're sold out of this idea of guava juice box that I've come up with. It's like, okay, we sold out in one day. And now you got to go to China and figure out <laughs> how to make more. How do you do that? I don't know. Go. And I would literally, I would just go to China and, and I went to China. We, we found our manufacturers. I found five global fulfillment centers to ship our products globally. I, I and that's really out. important, right? The fulfillment is the, the oh. biggest pain in the rear and Kickstarter. I always hear is, okay, we made these promises to these folks. We got to now make the product and give them the whole premiums that they've signed up for, right? And that's a gigantic challenge. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very very nice and, and awesome to say, yeah, I've, I've generated $8.1 million versus Kickstarter. That's, you know, hundreds of thousands of packages. And and literally, if someone doesn't get their Christmas problem, present, it is a problem. Right? So, yes. And, and yes. Especially in COVID-19 last year, where I think anyone in e-com, you know, they got their stripes, right? I mean, there was stuff where just packages just were just disappeared. And it's like, right. It was like, it was like, like, it was like, okay, this package is here in Washington. Now it's in Alaska. Like, what? <laughs> or no, it's in Mississippi. And now it's in Canada. Huh? Like it was, I mean, we went, we just lived through the greatest shipping fulfillment distribution nightmare of all time. Like, I mean, like, I mean, and, and the good thing is for, for the business and why I started Maestro is that, you know, e-com has moved forward 10 years in the last year. I was going to say, so, this is a transformational moment for e-commerce. Yeah. And I mean, a whole bunch of people that didn't care, didn't want to do it. All of a sudden, now they have that mental infrastructure in place that this is valuable for us, at least a whole set of things. Not everything necessarily. There's still going to be people that want to shop in person and do that. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't need you to go to the grocery store and muck around for two hours, right? You can just order it, have it delivered or, or whatever. I mean, it's like, that's all transformed, right? Well, tell my, tell my grandma who's now ordering Postmates, right? I mean, right. That, that, that's <laughs> the grandma test. The grandma test is it. Correct. You know, it's like my mother learned how to FaceTime, for God's sakes. We couldn't get her to do it, you know? I mean, it's like those kinds of things are such a big transformation in a whole generations of potential users, which I find really interesting. So let's let's look forward now. So you've got Maestro up and going. You know, you, you touched on it briefly. You are African-American. You are now launching a business as an African-American CEO. Talk a little bit about what that means for you at this point in your career. How old are you real quickly? I'm 42. I'll be I'll be 43 in June. I'm getting just I'm a getting. baby, just a sweet faced <laughs> little baby. My nine year old and five year old daughters don't think so. They 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 love calling me old every day, which I guess dad, you're old. You're old. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, dad. You don't know what's on Disney Junior. You're old. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, just wait till they get to be 12, and then oh, yeah. they'll say uh, even more fun things to you. So look forward oh. to that. Oh yeah, no, I've, I've, I'm I'm a proud father of of two daughters, which I think is a big part of being able to start this business with them uh, during the pandemic. Frankly, um, and I, I used to fly 125,000 miles a year, just going back back and forth to China or distribution plate centers or you know trade shows, and so being able to now fly zero. And my daughter's seeing me start this business, you know, as their father, as a, you know, African-American male, to have that visual. My daughters are my, are, are some of my secret uh, ingredients my, for, frankly, building the products. They, they've tested every slime or everything I've 
Yeah, right, right. yeah, kids, kids up being, end up being the lab. You know, like, hey, exactly. when my kids were growing up. I had a pretty cool job because back then I was I was doing a lot of video game reviewing, and so I had all the platforms. I got review copies of everything, and then I was getting all the movies, particularly the and you know, like the premieres for the animated kids show. So my kids, when they were growing up, they thought that you know, dad's an idiot, but you know, this is pretty good. So don't lose that job, dad. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Right. So you, you get to test all that stuff, but they get access to a lot of things that they might not get otherwise to, to, to check out themselves. But it also kind of grounds you, I'm sure, in terms of understanding what's going on in a way, you know, an adult doesn't necessarily understand. You know, this is a, a window into a nine-year-old's mind, the chaos of a nine-year-old kid's mind, right? And the yeah. things that work for them and the things that don't. You know, what are they watching? What are they caring about? How are they communicating? Are they sneaking on to social media? Do they, you know, all those kinds of things. And it's going to be really interesting for you as you think about products. Well, yeah, my, my, my nine-year-old's in the comics, right? And so and, and so it's such a, a tremendous experience for me. Like, she's in the comics, she's in the graphic novels, and so... You know, I always talk about everything's for seven-year-old Javon, right? And, and, and everything's been such an amazing journey from, you know, me reading comics to sharing comics with her. Now we're we're drawing comics together. Which was something now, these I, are physical comics that she's reading, not not like uh, on an iPad. She's no, physical. she's reading physical. She's reading physical comics. Uh, I, I'm her dad. Yes, she's, <laughs> she, she's reading physical comics. Uh, I've taken her to the comic book shop. Uh, obviously, free. Uh, she's been to Comic Con with me, which is fantastic. And, and both both of them, both my daughters, my my youngest daughter, uh, you know, she's five, right? So she's that's just, pushing it, man, with a five year old. Yeah, she's great. we're just trying to keep her. She, you know, we did like an American Ninja Warrior course in the backyard just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's where she's at but no it, it's it's been amazing and, and so yeah as, as an african-american founder uh and ceo it's really important to me. give hopefully to 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 be you know an example or be uh, someone that people you know i look at it just personally for my daughters right like maybe it's me or maybe it's boss baby right there they they play business now <laughs> like they, they talk about they, they sit around and like that's one of that's part of their play pattern is they're like all right dad i gotta go get on a zoom right that's that's kind of what my five-year-old is saying and so i think i think having them watching me build this business uh during the pandemic is one of the greatest things because they you know to, to be an example for them or for other, uh, you know, people of color, you know, as a business leader with someone that's, you know, had a lot of products and success and, and things that has just really shaped my career. And hopefully I can help other people of color bring their their products and their vision to the market. I, I love to been a, a big underlying thing of the whole story. Right. It, it's funny. As a kid, being a comic book nerd wasn't cool. Being a black comic book nerd was really not cool. <laughs> really, really, really not cool. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so, so well, thank I, God you're a big man, because otherwise, woof. right? Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, again, again, smaller in COVID. I've been working on my my intermittent fast. I, uh, it, it was either that or double in size, right? So, so. yeah, right, right. You're now the gatekeeper and uh, trying to decide the products you're doing, or you have been really for a while now, but within a corporate structure. And I'm just curious, what in your sensibility do you think, I mean, is part of your thinking that you need to make sure that you're not leaving folks behind, that you're trying to pull up some people, some some creators, for instance, of African-American or people of color? Um, are you thinking about that? Is that something in the back of your mind as you look at the projects? Because so much of your stuff has been very broad market, it seems like. Here's an opportunity, maybe you're more uh, aware of some opportunities that uh, the same old gatekeepers wouldn't be aware of. I'm just curious what you think about that. 
Yeah, I think I think absolutely. I, you know, it's a time for diverse voices, I and mean, that 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 frankly, diverse voices and diverse perspectives that haven't been previously heard. And if you look at the population of the world, <laughs> and kind of the storytellers did not align, and so the idea to be able to tell stories through products or, or bring brands to products that speak to a wider demographic of people because you have diverse perspectives is so important to me. I mean, it's not just about people of color. Obviously, as an African-American male, I was so focused on on bringing, you know, people of color onto the team, working with creators of color, um, which we're, we're very focused uh, on doing, but also gender. Like, you know, it, we're, we're in the games business. And, and frankly, you know, having females on the team in a business that has had issues with toxicity around, you know, females, was important, yeah. was important to me. And, and obviously, as a father of two daughters, that was important to me to, to, to really have the female perspective. I, I think it's it's a diversity of perspective, I think, that, you know, is, is very important as a creator, as someone that's bringing out the product to speak to a diverse audience. It's important to have a diversity of perspective, not just my own as a, as a black male, but as you know, females or gender, uh, sexuality, all those things are important in today's society where, frankly, they were always important, <laughs> but, but frankly, I think... The They're not acknowledged. Yeah. Not acknowledged. And I think the opportunity is so important right now, especially through Maestro, which is, will be a focus of ours to, to really be able to help people tell their stories through products. Well, great. Well, this is probably a good place to, to end this on. Thank you, Javon. I appreciate it. And good luck with Maestro and conducting your business. Yeah, I, I see what you did there. I see there's a whole bunch of... <laughs> I like it. I yeah, like you're, it. you're taking up the baton, that great relay race in life. So that's good. <laughs> that's good. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is fantastic. And that's my conversation with Javon Frazier, the founder and head of Maestro Entertainment. As you can hear, he's got a lot going on, done a lot of interesting stuff. Lovely fellow with a great sense of humor and and really a great soul. Glad to share his story with you guys. I hope it uh, connects and uh, inspires you as well. If you like what you hear here on Bloomin' Tech, please rate, review, share, and subscribe. Helps the magic algorithm machine figure out what we're doing here and whether it's worth uh, recommending to others. If you really like it, you can uh, even chip in a few bucks through the anchor.fm has a system kind of like Patreon where you can become a sponsor or supporter of the uh, podcast, which I would greatly appreciate. You can also send me a message. I'm easy to reach on Twitter at David Bloom, on LinkedIn at David L. Bloom, and even through anchor.fm, they have a function that allows you to leave an audio message. So you could reach me that way, and it might be something I might even work into a podcast. Anyway, please be in touch. Tell me what you think about what Javon's doing, what the opportunities are for consumer merchandising and spinoffs and ancillary content uh, of all kinds that helps serve fan bases for beloved franchises. That's what he is, and I think that's just a gigantic opportunity for just about anybody who's building intellectual property that has any kind of following at all. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to talking to you again soon. This is David Bloom for Bloom in Tech. Over and out. You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone.